0: Hello.
1: <laughs> John, thank you so much for coming. Well, as Eleanor said, you've been our um, companion over our breakfast tables. Now we only see you on Mastermind. Only. 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 Oh, well, okay, but tell me about Mastermind.
0: Um, well, Mastermind is quite simply the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've been a journalist for 108 years and um, most of that time asking questions of politicians on the Today programme. Then I find myself doing Mastermind and discover that there are people out there who actually want to answer your questions. (laughs) It it was a a revealing experience. Having said that, um, you, you do get some bizarre answers. Am I allowed to do the Mastermind bit for about a minute?
1: I think it's a really good idea. Are you going to try us out on a question?
0: I will, I will. I'm going to do that, yeah. Good. All right. if, if that's all we right. We all love quizzes. We all love quizzes, yeah, all right. Well, the thing is, we, we have at um, Christmas and the New Year this thing called Celebrity Mastermind. You may, have, you may have watched it. It's fair to say, I think, that by and large, um, those who appear on the programme do so rather more for their... Um, celebrity than their master minds as it
1: the general knowledge is definitely it, easier.
0: Precisely you've mm. spotted that. So, so, so I'm gonna just test you to soap opera star. First question for him was the following you're required to shout out the answer, right?
1: Go on.
0: What breakfast cereal do you associate with prison? His answer. Cheerios. <laughs> and, and that's that's a cheap and easy one, but I'm going to just do see, terribly, terribly quick ones. All right. Um,
1: okay, we well, like to know who all these people were. Uh, but just be patient, okay. Rosie. Right. Just, be, just,
0: just be patient. I said he was yeah. a soap opera star. Yeah. Okay. And I did wonder whether he was being brilliantly ironic or just thick. He was just thick. Anyway, <laughs> all right. A politician coming up. But three, three very slightly more difficult questions. All right. Um, who succeeded Henry VIII? Edward VI, yes, Edward VI. Not Henry VII. <laughs> what, was, what was the name of the prison? They stormed in Paris in 1789. That's mm-hmm, not Versailles. <laughs> and, what, and what was the name of the, uh, the person, the woman who uh, discovered radiation? I'll give you a clue. Her first name was Marie.
1: Curie.
0: Mm, and not Antoinette. <laughs> His, his name, and I am not, honestly, I'm not making it. His name was, you'd have heard of him, David Lammy. Mm? And he was at the time, at the time, he was Her Majesty's Minister of State for Higher Education. I rest my <laughs> case. So you, you, you wonder why I enjoy but That's, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah. Anyway. Um,
1: David Lammy's spoken here.
0: Has he? Yeah. Yes. Did anybody? <laughs> um, I and, I and, and was that a great. Well, let's, move, let's move on. So <laughs> this book that you have there. Um, yeah.
1: It's terrific. I've been reading it over the weekend, and it's hugely enjoyable. And I recommend it highly. But you you started out with a stroppy nature to authority, didn't you? Um, And that came from your dad.
0: uh, That's that's true. Um, Yes, my father was a French polisher. We were a working class family, not very much money, Um, and uh, well, no money really. And he um, he was uh, when he was a little boy, when he was thirteen, he he, uh, got measles and. Escaped from the house. He'd been confined to the house because, you know, mm-hmm. bright light could damage the optic nerve and all that kind of thing. Anyway, he escaped on a snowy day, lots of snow and sunshine, and, and went blind. And as a result of that, had a pretty bloody miserable child, as you can imagine. Um, and and he, I think he was probably stroppy anyway, even before that happened, but he was extremely stroppy after that and, and found it difficult. Obviously, to get work, but he did in the end. He he got an apprenticeship as French polisher, and uh, his high, eyesight gradually, big, but never, you know, just came back a bit enough to function. And uh, and he lasted in his first job for one week. At the end of it, he punched the foreman on his nose, and that was it. Never, never, never got another job. Hated authority of all sorts. So what he did was he 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 polished kind of people's pianos and tables and things like that in, in the kitchen of our house while my mother was doing hairdressing in the kitchen as well. It was quite a, a household of smells as I, as I recall, rather unpleasant smells. Um, uh, and um, he disliked authority to such an extent that if he went to one of the grand houses to do some French polishing and, and, and they, they suggested, the butler perhaps suggested he go to the servants' quarters, he wouldn't. <laughs> he was, went to his local club, you know, working men's club and refused on a Friday night. It was Packed, would not sit under the portrait of the Queen, and there was only one chair, so they threw him out of the club. I mean, that was him. That was him. And I, I inherited—I I fear that we. We. I think we probably did talk, but mostly we just argued. Once I became a teenager, capable of arguing, and that was what we did. Yeah. But your, your
1: dislike of authority kind of carried on through your school days, through it your did. first I, jobs. Didn't
0: yes, you? I left school at 15. I didn't get on with the headmaster at all. <laughs> yeah. he, 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 he beat me because I was late one day because I was delivering papers and it was a snowy day and the papers were late and, he beat, and I'd never forget I think he was an arsehole actually they invited me to uh, when, I, when I got on telly and was a, a, a little bit well known um, they, they, they wrote to me and, and said would I do the prize day speech you know speech on mm-hmm. the, the, the prize giving day and, 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 um, and I wrote back and said yes and they were very pleased and they said jolly good and then I wrote them another little letter and said there is one condition However, um, that is that I will tell them what I really think of the headmaster. And they, they withdrew the invitation immediately. So, yeah, how
1: did you get, your, how'd you get your first job
0: oh as a I journalist? Did, I, 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 just, I left school on the Friday morning, the other Friday, um, it, whenever it was. And um, on the Monday, I went to the Penarth Times, a little. A little town outside Cardiff, and said, "Can I have a job as a reporter?" And he said, "All right." Well, there was only one other reporter. Well, he couldn't really call him a reporter, I suppose. But so there were two of us, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't difficult getting a job on the Penarth Times, really, if you were prepared to work as I was for one pound seventeen shillings and sixpence a week, Mm. which even then wasn't very much. (laughs) Plus, you had to pay your own bus fares if you went on a job, which you never had to do anyway. But
1: so, so your biggest first story was that you were the first reporter into Aberfan. Tell I us was. how that came about I and what was. that was like, because it's become uh, so current again because uh, of the crown. Well, because and we'll of the crown, and that, up that, to that, date that, with that.
0: that. That's right. I was. Um, I was then working for um, TWW, a little local television station mm-hmm. in Cardiff, and I, on the particular uh, Friday morning, uh, I saw a thing on the ticker tape saying that there'd been a, um, a tip slide in uh, in the Merthyr Valley and uh, in Aberfan. I knew it really well because I lived in Merthyr, I've been there, a reporter there for some years, uh, and I knew Upper Van as well and I knew where the tip was and I knew there'd worries about the tip anyway. So I thought I'd take a drive up, we didn't know what had happened. And, um, and when I got there it was the most horrible, but there are no words to describe it, it was, it was Beyond heartbreaking, um, it, the, 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 the tip had slid and it, it roared down the hillside um, at, at, at great speed. People don't understand quite what happened, but it, the, the tip essentially dissolved from the middle and just slid, and beneath it, in the valley, in the, in the village, which was at the top of this hillside, um, it was primary school and mm-hmm. some houses, and it just demolished the school. children went in, it was 9.15 in the morning. And obviously the miners who were in the local colliery, the ones, the men who had built the tip, um, they heard. Not, I mean, such a roar, did it make as it came. And they rushed to the surface, of course. And when I got there, about an hour after it had happened, they were digging, with their, quite literally, with their hands and shovels and picks um, for the children. the children in the school. And it was the most uh, hideous sight you, I mean, they were—they just come up from the college, so their faces were black I remember it in, in, in acute detail and there were streaks of white down there mm-hmm. they were crying and sweating and, and digging and, and, and every so often they would, uh, somebody would, would either blow a whistle or shout and, and they would stop everybody would stop and we'd all just stand very still while they listened because they thought they'd heard the sound of a child crying out and uh, sometimes they did I, I saw one little girl being carried out, Um, she was okay, she was alive. Uh, Mostly they were dead, Um, they just kept digging um, um, for two days and there were 116 dead children at the end of it. Um, But the thing that, the reason that that, 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 I was gonna say reinforced, created perhaps my um, distrust of of power and authority was because the men in that village, the, the miners knew that that had been a dangerous place to build that tip. It was a relatively new tip, and they had warned the National Coal Board about it, and the Coal Board lied through their teeth. They, to this day, you will see reports, there's one in the Telegraph there, you will see reports that say the tip slid because there had been such heavy rain, but that is precisely what the miners had warned you the Coal might Board. Happen. And Lord Robens, who was the chairman of the Coal Board at the time, a lying bastard, he lied. They all lied, all of them, the whole... The whole coal board bosses all of them lied um, and they might have got away with it but but the miners had written letters and they'd had copies they copies of those letters and and when when the inquiry was finally held they were found to be culpable I mean they'd been responsible for the death of uh, all those children
1: yeah. uh, and and and, and they simply lied so you know extraordinary and it, it, it was also now memorable because the the queen took eight days to get there didn't she, she did yeah. And that's been recreated in the Crown, which mm, you.
0: It, it, it has. Um, I mean, obviously, one doesn't know the truth of it. The, the Crown has created a sequence, the programme has created a sequence in which um, Harold Wilson, who was the Prime Minister, um, when they were beginning to get on the first day that they were beginning to get an idea of the number of fatalities, um, went to see her and said, I think you should uh, go down to have a van. And she said, No, well, the, the, the Crown um, doesn't go to accidents, it goes to ho- hospitals. Now, I don't so, know whether that's true or even remotely true but the fact is she did not go down for eight days and when she did go down, she said afterwards that um, it was the greatest mistake, the greatest regret uh, from of, of her her reign of, of those years that she did not go down immediately but when she did go down she went to see some of the, the bereaved mothers obviously and she walked out of the meeting and, and brushed away what obviously everybody thought was a tear. There's then a sequence in The Crown in which she says uh, it, she, she, uh, it was faked. She did not have a tear coming out of her eyes. And then right at the very end of the sequ- of, of, of the program, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling this for you now. No, no, no. But, but at the very end, and you may not share my view if and when you see it, but there, but there's a, a, a very long close-up of the Queen, just looking into the middle distance, tight close-up. Uh, her eyes fixed on and and you know what's going to happen and of course it does happen and a single tear runs down the way. and it made me very cross mm. because you don't need to
1: embellish grief of that sort and, uh, so you took that anger with authority into your years as being the lead presenter on today i mean oh, i think every reporter every every interviewer
0: every reporter should should be angry, maybe isn't the right word, but profoundly sceptical about palmy That is the whole point, isn't it, of of doing what the people job. like me and what you've done for many, many years. We challenge. We do not trust authority or power. We cliche. Forgive me. We speak truth to power. We try to, and some, sometimes we're, we're, we're able to do that.
1: So but if you compare back to say having Harold Wilson, then um, to having. More modern prime ministers who seem to have more spin doctors. How much harder do you think it has got to get at the truth? Well, it, 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 it depends what you mean by the truth. Of course, well. I, I try to avoid the truth. I, I'd rather
0: facts, because just okay. because truth can be interpreted. If you see what I mean, um, more, more difficult, of course. When when when, um, Alistair Campbell came along, mm. he was different from, from any other, partly because he'd been. So he the, was
1: different from, say, Bernard Ingham. I think the he people was, before.
0: but, but Bernard Ingham was a civil servant. Alistair Campbell was a journalist. Mm-hmm. Alistair Campbell was, um, had this passionate, passionate loyalty to whoever he happened to be working for. You could argue a great character strength, great character weakness in that particular job. And he, you, you, you were not allowed, as you'll remember from those days, you were not allowed to harbor any doubts about Tony Blair when he became uh, Blair's man. And what he did, in those years in Downing Street, I think was immensely damaging in in, in all sorts of ways. I mean, the, Go on. The, the, well, the story. I mean, I, look, I don't know whether again somebody told me this happened, and I believe him. He's a reputable bloke. He was sitting in the, in the newsroom. It, it, in the, um, the office media office in the uh, we didn't call it media then did we, maybe we were just doing it, in, uh, in the House of Commons and, and Campbell, one of the reporters there one of the lobby correspondents and Campbell came along and perched his ass on the desk and, and said, gather you got a bit in the paper at the weekend about, uh, about Tony not very obliging hmm? he said, yeah. And he said mm, yeah, got a big mortgage have you I mean, you know, silly story possibly not true but you know, one, one, one can't help believing it. And he did, well, we know what he did during the, uh, uh, the Iraq yes. so-called crisis. Um, and uh, I think he did, he did enormous damage to the whole process during the time that he was in power. And how quickly would they
1: be on the phone? Would the BBC oh, be on the phone? how
0: quickly? Know? When were they off the phone? And certainly du- during, during uh, an election campaign... Um, Always. I mean, they, they were never off the phone. They put enormous pressure on every single editor. Well, every. The, the editor of the Today Program, for instance, the editor of the World at One. Uh, you, know, you, you, you knew that if they picked up the phone, it would be Alice Campbell or one of them. Sometimes, 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 very, very occasionally, it was quite useful. I remember Blair ringing me himself once before an interview, and it was about. Um, and, and I don't know whether I feel guilty that I engaged him in conversation before the interview or not, but, but I did. Uh, he was down, I, was, I was doing an interview with somebody, senior figure from the, uh, the, pro, uh, the Republican... Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you no, were no, waving no. at me. No, no, time. no, she's telling us we um, did run out, but we, and, I, I want to and, ask you at least he, he, one more question. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and Blair said, um, can I just tell you about something that you might find useful for this interview that you're going to do uh, with somebody from Sinn Féin? And, uh, and I agreed to chat to him. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. Look, if the bigger question you're asking me is what should be the relationship between... Um, you and the politicians, Me and the politicians. I'm not, after all these years, absolutely certain what it should be. My own view is that um, we should not have, people like me, should not have a relationship with politicians. I've never done any whining and dining. I, uh, I could... Literally, count on the fingers of one hand the number of times I've had lunch with a politician, um, and, and, and then not a politician in power, um, because uh, I don't want a relationship with them. I don't want to feel that I know them and they know me, and I don't feel in any way that I'm beholden to them or they might be beholden to me. I like the thing to be as distant. Of course, you'll have a chat with them when uh, when they come in and you the, meet them in the green room for five minutes, but that's it. I don't want any more than that. So I don't want a relationship with them.
1: So do you wake up every morning thinking, I really want to get at him or her, get them in the 8:10 slot?
0: Well, you probably don't know. I I, I gather Nick Robinson hasn't revealed this yet, but I do send in questions. (laughs) um, (laughs) LAUGHTER You yeah.
1: do. What have you sent in for tomorrow morning? I,
0: I, I'm afraid I can't tell you that. <laughs> that, that that's between Nick and me. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's a joke, by the way. Just in, just in case. God, Nick me. is here. Uh, no, I don't, I don't miss it. Weirdly, I don't miss it. I do. Of course, I listen like everybody else. I imagine. I think, bloody stupid, what a dumb thing. To do. And then think, actually, does it matter? You know. do you I mean, hang on now. I'm not saying that the day programme, doesn't Whoa. matter. Doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. But... but um, I don't know how much effect a single interview with a single politician has on the on the on the democratic process. I think we, we, can, we must have it; we cannot live without it. Society can't, uh, democracy can't survive without it. But I'm not sure uh, whether we have quite as much influence as, as we think we have. I don't know, I or genuinely... as maybe
1: you used to have, and you would, could say the same for the Daily Mail because so much is now online.
0: We have, we, we have to take into account social media, don't yeah. we? And, 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 th- and that's the big worry. I mean, I think the BBC matters, matters enormously, but it's going to matter less and less. That's inevitable, isn't it? Kids don't listen to uh, uh, the Today programme, by and large, and if they do, they might listen, if they do, if they do, a wee bit on their mobile or whatever, but mostly they'll be getting their information from somewhere else.
1: And that, that going back to sort of where we began with your... Total suspicion of authority, which I think lots of us share. Do you think the where do we find authority nowadays? Do you think the BBC has it? Well, I'm not,
0: I don't mean by that, but the, the question um, doesn't really apply, does it, to the BBC? We, we have, a, well, we, I think I prefer to rephrase it a little bit, and I would say, does the public trust the BBC? Um, I think that's, I don't want us to have authority. There is, there is, if the BBC is not a monolithic organisation, and there is nobody in the BBC who says this is going to be our take on this particular story or, or on this particular social change. You know, we are, uh, we, we, we do or we do not believe that there are more sexes than two. You know, men are men and women are women. I don't believe we should take a view on that. Um, I, so, so in that sense, um, we are not authority. We have no, we have no right. Let alone inclination. I hope to uh, to, to, to sound off on, on matters of great social importance or especially political importance. Um, do they trust us? I think they probably
1: do. You? Well, sort of lukewarm. Yes. But well, I'm, oh, all right. <laughs> how many
0: of you? Tr- how many of you do not trust the BBC? Put your hand up, please. Right. All right.
1: Very few. I've there we
0: are. Three. I rest my case. Four. Anyway, four. It's still. All right. All right. All right. Well. You the rest of you have never heard of the BCI in this summer. Thank you,
1: thank you for keeping us going for so many years every morning over breakfast, and thank you for being <laughs> here. You.